Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. G'day there and welcome to The Gong Show. My name is Steph Postuma. I'll be joined by chefs Andy Burns and Simon Evans to talk about issues relating to the food and hospitality industry with insights from guests including chefs, business owners, producers, policymakers and experts. This week we are joined by Alex Haynes from the Illawarra Shoalhaven Suicide Prevention Collaborative to talk about mental health in hospitality. It's a big issue and there's a lot to get through and Alex was fantastic in giving us a professional's insight and talking to us a bit about why mental health is an issue in the hospitality industry as well well as providing strategies for hospitality workers to be able to cope with this issue. We had a great chat and we hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 14 of the Gong Show podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Steph Postuma. With me, as always, Chef Andy Burns. Hello. Chef Simon Evans. Hey. And today we have Alex Haynes with us from the Illawarra Shoalhaven Suicide Prevention Collaborative. G'day, Alex. G'day, hi. Good, mate. Thank you for joining us. We're going to start off by doing an acknowledgement of country. We'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of the Illawarra and acknowledge elders past, present and future. Yeah, look, let's get straight into it. We have for a while uh, wanted to do a podcast to talk about issues of mental health in the hospitality industry and surrounding the hospitality industry. And we didn't really want to do this just ourselves, just having you know read about it and, and having some experience in it. We wanted to bring someone in who... Uh, is a professional and who works in it and who can shed some light on it um, from a from a different perspective, not just one of someone in hospitality. So that's why you're here, Alex. So let's start. I just want I just want us to start, Alex, with you um, telling us a bit about your position and what the Illawarra Shoalhaven Suicide Prevention Collaborative is. Yeah, sure. So um, by trade, I'm a clinical psychologist, which means. Um, when I explain what I do to my kids, it's basically when people feel really shit, they come and talk with me, and I try and help them feel less shit. Which is really nice kids' way of understanding what a psychologist does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my trade or my profession. So having worked in lots of different settings and so on, uh, I started to get particularly interested in trauma um, and the overlap that that has with the pointy end of mental health, which is when people die from it. Um, so suicide being the obvious one. So um, 
We, uh, in 2015, set up the Illawarra Shoalhaven Suicide Prevention Collaborative uh, because we felt like there were a lot of people, really good people, doing really good work um, in suicide prevention, but the rates weren't going down. If anything, they were going up in this region. And so <clears throat> when we talked about needing to do something differently, in essence, what we thought what needed to happen was that everybody needed to work better together um, so that we're actually collaborating across uh, sectors and across all of our efforts. So rather than just have one good offering here, one good support option in that part of the region and uh, nothing in another part, we wanted to make sure that no matter who you were, no matter where you lived, you could access the right kind of support that you needed. But also um, we wanted to make sure that what we did was actually evidence-based and actually working. And so uh, we set up a suicide prevention collaborative. We've got about 40 organisations that are members of the collaborative now. They come from all sorts of um, sectors. So it includes all the ones you'd expect, like public health and lots of non-government organisations, um, like Lifeline, Headspace, etc. Uh, but also includes the four councils, the Business Chamber, um, Illawarra Mercury and the South Coast Register, so the media, um, employment agencies, lawyers, um, all sorts of different sectors, all the, all the parts of education as well, to try and make sure that everybody across the community understands what role they play in suicide prevention and they feel confident to play that role. And I guess that's kind of in essence what the collaborative is trying to achieve, is just make sure everybody knows what role they have to play and they feel like they can do it. Um, and then in 2016, we partnered with the uh, Black Dog Institute to implement what's called the Lifespan Initiative, which is the... Um, most uh, substantial, most thorough, most comprehensive suicide prevention initiative ever undertaken in Australia. So we're one of four sites across Australia that are trialling what's called a systems approach to suicide prevention, which is essentially aligned with what I was saying that Collaborative was trying to do, to make sure that you know, in education, in businesses and in health, etc., we're all doing what we need to do um, as informed by evidence to actually reduce suicides. And so we're trying to implement uh, nine different evidence-based strategies across the region at the moment for the whole of the community. And the evidence suggests that if we do that, we'll be able to reduce suicide deaths by 20% and attempts by 30% over the next uh, handful of years. So, wow, that's a really good place to start. Mm. Um, my first question is, how many, how many different organisations have you now got as a part of the collaborative, did you say? About 40. About 40. Yeah. Is there any organisations that are hospitality-based who are a part of the collaborative? No. No, no not That doesn't one. surprise me. And, you know, that's one of the things that attracted me when you guys invited me to come along. Um, you know, I'm partly keen to talk to the audience that listens to this podcast, but actually I'm also kind of interested to hear what you guys thinking in terms of how this is relevant to your core business because mm. that's just been one of the things that we've really enjoyed what I've enjoyed as a clinician stepping into this role around the collaborative is um, trying to listen to people who don't see suicide prevention as relevant to their core, core business and understand um, you know what opportunities there are actually for them to do a whole lot of really great stuff to support uh, the community that they are in touch with mm. hospitality is absolutely a really good option mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess um, the thing about the hospitality industry, it's a tight-knit industry in the sense that everyone knows each other kind of socially in a sense, but it's we don't have any large businesses in terms of hospitality businesses here in Wollongong. There's, there's places that have numerous venues, etc. but everyone essentially is running small businesses and works independently. 
So, yeah, it just seems in hospitality that number one time is a huge issue and it's, it's not one of those industries where resources can be allocated to becoming a part of something like the collaborative yeah. and, and dedicating time and, and, and energy into, into really fostering good mental health in, in, in your staff and, and, and as a part of the sort of community in general. Also in hospitality, for, for years it's been a badge of honour not to talk about these things, like like to, you know, to hold everything in, to, to get through the stress and, and not make a peep about it. That's and, what, and not crack. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's kind of that's the, the language we use behind it. It's like, oh, that guy's, that guy's cracked, or he couldn't do it, he couldn't hack it, or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's just, that's made this kind of atmosphere where, like, we're not going to say, not surprised that there's no hospitality businesses mm. in it, because that's not the way we perceive ourselves, which is slowly starting to change. Yeah, I think the, the phrase, you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. It's there for a reason, yeah. that, that saying. True. It's a pretty tough environment. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, we've got a number of um, members of the collaborative who are involved and doing various things to support the people that they're in contact with around suicide prevention and mental health generally, um, who don't come to regular meetings and so on. It, it has to work that way. So mm. police and ambulance, GPs, for example, they can't come to a regular meeting. Um, so we engage with them in different ways. So mm-hmm. there's no reason, and we'll talk a bit about it later on. Mm-hmm. There are a number of things that people working in hospitality could definitely do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, I guess we wanted to start with giving you, like, as you said, you'd probably just be interested to hear a bit of, it, um, of these guys and my experience in, in potentially some of the reasons why uh, this is an issue in hospitality. So I guess the obvious... The obvious place to start, you, you guys might agree, is that it's an industry in which people are—I don't know how how many hours a week did you would, would you say an average chef, full-time chef works? I'd say it'd be definitely over fifty. Yeah, like av- av- standard on average, yeah, fifty to sixty in a lot of places. Um, yeah. To some places, a lot more. Some places, a bit less. Yeah, um, and, and look, it's not always the amount of hours as well. It's just the time you are in the kitchen. Some kitchens you can do long hours, but you're doing less, and that, that kind of. So different effects. Sometimes you'll be in the kitchen not long, but it, it, it's all it's really intense. Yeah. So like, so different different venues have different hours, but it, it's kind of um, it's almost how hours are filled mm. a little more than So let's start with you know the, just just the number of hours and also the things like working working weekends and having an irregular schedule where you might work a lunch and then have a like have a couple of hours off that you're not getting paid for just to have a break in between or something and then go straight back into it and not be finished until midnight. Alex, how sort of how, how do these sorts of things sort of manifest um, when it comes to people's mental health? Yeah, they have a massive impact. Um, as you guys have no doubt experienced yourselves, both yourself directly but also for your staff. Like, so one of the things you talk about there is um, uh, sort of... A, an instability in terms of your living cycle. You know, like you're not sure whether you've got secure employment. You're not necessarily on time, same time zone as everybody else around you. Um, those things can absolutely fit into it. But you also mentioned uh, earlier before we started, maybe around sleep. Mm-hmm. So sleep is a really common uh, symptom of like sleep problems. A really common symptom amongst people who experience depression. And what we found is that. If you have a whole lot of people who are depressed and have sleep problems as part of that, if we address the sleep problems, 70% of them no longer have depressed mood at all. Wow. Wow. So that just gives you some indication of what kind of an impact poor sleep 
mm-hmm. can have on your mood and obviously that then has knock-on effects to decision making your tolerance your ability to um, think about other people's needs in your life you know so it can make you um, really quite separated mm. yeah right I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big one because like is and it's but it, it comes down to you you're working weird hours you might be working different shifts um, splits um, even things like like the noise and the heat like I know when I'm like at home like my ears are still ringing I'm still just like, like either cold too cold or too hot and then it takes you like so long to wind down yeah. to actually get, get yourself some good sleep um, it's definitely hard for like the younger like younger guys who are coming into this at I don't know 18 to 20 mm. um, I, like from memory it was a while ago but getting used to that yeah and mm-hmm. trying to find some stability in the way you eat or consistency more so like eat, sleep, do normal, normal things in yeah. life that other people do yeah. at certain times. It, it, it takes a little while to get used to, especially if you work nights. Mm. So that's all relation to the, the kind of timetable of it and the logistics, which I think are, are genuine. You know, the kitchen, each kitchen might have a different culture, but it is quite a distinct environment compared to other workplaces. And you know, say you're a chef, people might automatically think of cooking. They may not actually think of all that's entailed in yep. working within a kitchen. So I think that's quite um, quite isolating as well. But it's probably worth also just, if it's okay, yeah. if I just quickly outline how we understand uh, suicide occurs. So there's a few key concepts that are probably worth explaining. So one is um, a, a burdensomeness. So when people start to feel like they're a burden on people around them or people around them would be better off if they were dead, that's one of the things that can lead. I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. The other one is around a, what they call thwarted belongingness, which is essentially just the sense that you're really lonely or that you don't have any meaningful, reciprocal, loving relationships in your life. So if you have both that sense of burdensomeness as well as a lack of belongingness and you feel hopeless about those two things improving, then that leads to suicidal thoughts. But suicidal thoughts don't necessarily graduate, for lack of a better word, to suicidal behaviour, so people don't necessarily act on those thoughts unless they have this third concept, which is called acquired capability for suicide, which essentially is about um, a fearlessness about your own death or an increased pain tolerance. Now, men typically have a lot more of that. It's it's an accumulated thing over time. So men tend to be more uh, physical assaults, tend to play more physical sports, so they tend to have more physical injuries. They're also through culture of stoicism tend to put up with physical pain for longer so they have a high pain tolerance so you can see how things like um, hospitality being a male dominated industry particularly in the kitchen would mean that it would have a higher suicide rate potentially but also when we're talking about the timetable of people who work in the kitchen then that would absolutely feed into that lack of belongingness that sense that you're not quite part of the rest of society or maybe the rest of your family or friendship group so if you're a young fellow working in a kitchen or a young woman and your friends start to go out and do stuff at night and you're always working at those times, then you're going to start feeling quite disconnected. Um, and that can then feed into the suicidal thoughts. Yeah. We've had a lot of that with, with yeah. our young guys. Like yeah. just, like the last kind of thing you said is just there. And I, I experienced it when I was younger as well. Like all of my friends were going out and doing completely different things and I was going to work when they were meeting up at five o'clock or whatever I was heading back to work for service um it's just what 
I guess, what I chose to do, you know, as my job. But um, it can be quite isolating. Yeah. Even now, like, yeah, yeah. sometimes I was like, all I really do is get up and go to work yeah. and, and in the morning and then get home at, like, 11 o'clock. I mean, I own a business. It's, it's quite different than working for, for like, us. Um, yeah. But... Um, it can become it can become quite isolating, yeah. Like you just in a little room, yeah, all yeah. day, you know, for like it's seventy hours a week. Or scary whatever. to describe those things. It was three things. There's something you probably, almost any chef, anyone in this kind of industry has probably felt one of those things any yeah. the time. Um, yeah, so like like feeling isolated and feeling like lonely because you have you know, other friends doing stuff and you're you're working um, mm. and then and, you know even, even when you're like it's a tough thing anyway like that feeling of not being good enough or not being capable yeah. then that happens in the kitchen as well and um, yeah it kind of it just shows what a what a kind of strange environment we work in <laughs> now that I think about it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more, but the inverse of it right is that um, that sense of belonging can be quite strong amongst the, oh, the kitchen group and yeah, the hospitality group you mentioned that the local community here, you know, there's a lot of small players. Um, you know, that can feed into really intense competition and secrecy, or it can feed into a, a sense of collegial family bonds across um, restaurants. I think that's the case in the Illawarra. And I think that can be yeah. really positive. Yeah. yeah. I think mm -hmm. you're seeing that with um, the sort of younger generation of chefs now. Um, whereas before, even 10 years ago in Illawarra, Wollongong, it was very much everyone a bit against each other no, no one's friendly everyone, no one really talks um, and here definitely the last couple of years we've had much more um, just kind of togetherness with everyone with, with even like myself and other and other restaurant owners and bar owners hanging out and being friends and collaborating and talking that's created kind of a better vibe and I think that's just from a younger generation of, of realising that it can't sustain itself <laughs> the way it's going yeah. we can't keep going like this we need to actually like try and get some work-life balance and then the the fact that it is, is, it is the job is the job. We, we, we can't stop doing dinner. You know, we, we can't just do lunches and then <laughs> still money. Like, like, there, there's things that we, doesn't work that we can't change. We need to make the best of them. So yeah. creating you know, yeah. groups and I know there's a couple of Facebook groups now so, popping up um, mm. to try and kind of make everyone feel a bit more included and inclusive. We'll talk more about that yeah. afterwards. But uh, like we'll, we'll call it, sort of keep going on these possible issues. I guess one of the other things just to continue on that point about isolation one of the things that we talked about before was and, and one of the i can just remember it being to being a contributing factor um as to like when i stopped working in hospitality i was working in hospitality for quite a long time as well and i remember one year i missed something like something like six or eight weddings because I was working on weekends and these are like my good friends and I wanted to go to their weddings. Story of my life. Yeah, the story of your guys' lives, you know, you're still doing it. Like, and, and, yeah, exactly. Doing that sort of thing. And then, and then the other thing about that, not only are you missing out on these things that occur on the weekends because the vast majority of the population, the weekends are your free time and you have that time off. Your own, your time off is on time is, is, is on a day like a Monday or a Tuesday when no one else has time off. So you you can either hang out with the people that you work with or, or, or the, that are people in your industry, or you can hang out by yourself or, or whatever it might be. But it's definitely like you definitely don't you don't have that same sort of flexibility to you know share experiences and 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 have some leisure time with a with a with a diverse community. Yeah. So and yeah and, and I guess that that's a 
that'll just can exacerbate that sort of isolation if, if, if you are feeling that. Yeah, it can do, yeah. Mm. So, and it, but like I said, there is an inverse to it. There is a positive to the vibes that you get in hospitality. Mm. I mean, I worked in hospitality when I was younger, which is probably like most people who do some work in hospitality for five, eight years and then um, kick on with some other career option. But while you're in it, it's incredibly social bonding time. Mm. Uh, not necessarily the healthiest lifestyle, but it, was, um, it did have some positives in terms of a sense of belonging, mm. for sure. Yeah, I think that's what watch does bring a lot of people into it just because there's that kind of camaraderie mm. of the kitchen there's, there's that kind of group of, of we're, we're struggling through this together yeah. so I mean, the, the basis is there to have a really kind of you know, a more healthy um, kind of work-life balance and just work environment in general and I think it's just it's more recently when people actually acknowledging that these, that you know, a lot of people suffer these problems they're not isolated incidents that it can yeah. start to grow on that well, the intensity of the experience in a kitchen can be quite bonding. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got some people I've worked with for like six months, but like they're like, like they're very close, very good friends. You could do six months, but it was like you know, six days, seven days a week almost, yeah. you know, 12 hours a day of being around that person, and you, yeah. you have to get on all. On the, on the flip side of that, though, like you often hear of and see um, kitchens where the more experienced, more senior people in the kitchen kind of eat their young yeah yeah <laughs> and that can be a really hostile environment mm. so that's not just intense that's also hostile and then it's really potentially damaging and that's mm. where you're going to find those people are particularly going to struggle because they're not feeling a sense of belongingness or safety at work and then when they're off their normal safety net is busy mm-hmm. um, yep. and can't hang around so then those that crew will be particularly isolated yeah mm. I think Whereas, that's, that's kind yeah. of that has changed in the past few years like the the way um, the younger people, whether it be apprentices or someone like a kitchen hand, whatever, working in the kitchen, the way they're treated, um, it's become pretty like well known, well known fact in the media, etc. That um, people get treated like shit when, like, as, as apprentices, and it's like I mean, I know I definitely try really hard to be the opposite of that and be more of a mentor. Doing that like in a better way, like trying to be a mentor, that that is potentially like a, a massive cultural shift for some kitchens, and it yeah. would be fantastic. The impact that would have is really big. It's yeah, it's hard. You get and you get quite like a few of our guys. You get quite close yeah. with them, you know. Like um, a couple of them in particular. Like I've been through a lot, you know, with with some of our young guys. Like both sort of professionally and. Then, like growing personally mm. into young adults, um, and they, they go through shit like anyone. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to kind of be there for them. Like, we we'll work with these guys so closely. Mm. Um, and a lot of the guys, like um, a lot of young guys that I've, and some young girls as well that I've worked with, I mean, we've had, I've had a lot more male apprentices than, than female, but um, they haven't had the greatest lives. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of these guys fall into this as their career. Mm. Um, because they haven't gone to university yeah. or anything like that to, to sort of work on another career. And yeah. they've come from, like, like really hard upbringings yeah. and not nice not nice sort of family um, dynamics. Yeah. And you, you kind of become, like, a not, not a parental figure, but you become, like, the stable adult in a lot of yeah, their lives. Yeah, yeah. And it can be, it's pretty hard. <laughs> when the job becomes... Incredibly important for them. Yeah, yeah. The story of their life. You know, yeah, it's, it's like a 
it's a, it's a guiding light. Yeah, know, it's that one stable yeah. kind of thing that some of them have. That's so true. That's right. It's so true. And um, particularly if they can get a sense of competence in that area, yeah. you know, if they feel like actually, or in psychology term, they call mastery, you know, like just a sense of mastery in yeah. some area of your life, um, that can be really important for yeah. somebody who hasn't had that in other areas of their life. Change their lives, I guess. If, they, if they've never had that, yeah. it can be a massive positive for, yeah. like yeah. you said, guiding light. <laughs> Opportunity to be respected. Yeah. You know, yeah. And feel like they can go somewhere with something. Get positive feedback. Yeah. Maybe the first time in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've worked with like some young like some young guys that have just been screamed at their whole lives. Like, yeah. And yeah scary that's like and some of them were still living in these situations yeah um and still just getting yelled at at home and they were scared people yeah like had to be really careful about the way you kind of treated them because you yeah. know it's like a, it's such an intense environment yeah. when you're busy and like and tired yeah <laughs> yeah and tired and as the boss like a, a lot of, like my last job i was looking after a couple of venues and um like, I had a lot of pressure on me yeah. to, to get things right financially in the back of house sort of side. And you got a lot of pressure on you and then, it, you know, it goes down the line and they're making mistakes and you just, yeah, you have to be so careful about the way you, like, yeah. the way you sort of um, treated them, I guess, as a whole. Yeah. Like, if something went wrong. <laughs> Do you find, um, because being a chef and, and working in a kitchen is such a, I mean, it's it's it, you run a frenetic pace generally, like most of the time. Like you, it's it, it's running these preparations for for service, and then you get to service, and it's absolutely as fast paced as you can possibly get, and then you clean down and and that sort of thing. Um, one of the like, I guess, one of the things when it comes to what you were just saying, then Andy, about talking to other people about their issues and um, and trying to think through these things is that in most other circumstances people can give themselves the opportunity to just just take a step back and have a really good think about something before they respond. However, in hospitality, because the pace is so fast and, and, and your requirements for that day are so immediate, the pressure on you to, to have a response to someone who might be either reaching out or having some issues or whatever, you've got so many other things on your mind at that time that you don't have you don't have the luxury of taking a step back to, to, to actually think through how you're going to respond in the most mm-hmm. positive way. Yeah. Is that is that I guess Alex? Um, yeah, I mean, how important? Uh, I guess like when you work with other industries, there, there might be a bit more scope for for people to sort of take that time to be able to yeah, to think things through. That's probably true, but it's not unique to hospitality either. Okay. There are other industries where. Urgency is part of it. hundred percent. You know, yeah. like when we work in emergency departments or yeah. paramedics, um, I mean, it's fairly People, urgent. Of course, yeah. Yeah. There's a fair bit of time critical decision making that has to go on. So um, there are all sorts of things that other industries have been able to do with regards to um, setting up routine systems where you debrief after mm-hmm. or you um, plan ahead. So the next time that sort of thing happens, this is how we might approach it. Like that's not insurmountable it's definitely worth acknowledging that is the reality of the environment so on occasions there will be a bit of barking going on in the kitchen um, but that doesn't mean it has to be a, an ongoing hostile environment mm-hmm. yeah all right um so the, like i guess the next issue that um 
chefs and and hospitality uh, employees and things face a lot of is is that the idea of um, having an unhealthy physical physical environment that you work in as well. I mean, drugs and alcohol are pretty prevalent in the industry, especially alcohol. You know, like it's you know ritual for what was throughout my working in, in, in venues to when you when you clean down you do it over a beer and, yeah. and whatever um, and I guess when it comes to physical health as well you're eating at irregular times we mentioned sleep before um, and and you're keeping really sort of like late and sporadic hours do you want to just give us an idea of how how sort of yeah physical health can sort of lead to sort of negative mental health outcomes as well yeah so um I mean, there's a bit like the timetable again in that um, even just the exposure to daytime sunlight is really important for managing your mood. Yeah. You know? So if you don't get that, that's going to have an impact, a negative impact. Yeah. So they find the same thing with people who do any kind of shift work. But if somebody's working night times, um, it doesn't take very long before they actually end up quite depressed. Um, they don't have to have any other significant life event going on. It can just be the lack of uh, routine uh, day, daytime hours mm-hmm. even if they're getting enough hours of sleep if that's during the daytime it's bad for them um, so you do see that a fair bit you need to think about how that might impact on it and so physical exercise is really important to that too in that you typically you know physical exercise is a good excuse to get outside into the daytime mm-hmm. um, so that's one thing that's really important um, but it's also about looking after yourself physically I mean the kitchen's a pretty physical environment um, not great for your back and shoulders and all sorts of parts of your body so it's actually not a bad thing to be in good condition um, mm-hmm. but you can't do that if you're always working this is something all, all the reading doing research before this podcast a lot of the things that recommend like, like literally just going outside before you go to work it just like it seems like such a small thing but it can be like quite a task when you really really mm-hmm. put some hours in or you know if you, you Finish work. You need to go for a couple of beers after <coughs> late night and get to getting up and getting yourself out. Mm-hmm. It, it can be pretty tough, and it's kind of uh, these, these very simple things where when you've got this kind of backlog of, of hours and like being knackered, mm-hmm. all sort of thing can be really hard. So I think it's, it's, it's important to put a lot of systems in place and have a little schedule. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like, like I play basketball every Monday and that's every Monday, so that's just it's indoors. It's not quite, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it usually so happens so. when it's dark. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, um, so when we have people in hospitals, um, no matter what it's for, but particularly in psychiatric wards, um, if they've been in there for longer than fifteen days, we have to start giving them vitamin D supplements oh, wow. because it has such a detrimental effect on their mental health and everything else we're working on. Yeah. So, that's any ward though, like if you're on yeah. any kind of general medical ward for a long period of time, you need to start having vitamin D supplements. So if you feel like it's absolutely impossible in this industry to get some daytime hours, then it might be worth considering some vitamin D supplements Ooh. as well. Okay, that's interesting. But to be honest, daytime sunlight is better yeah. than vitamin yeah. D supplements <laughs> as well. Can I, just out of interest, like you guys, what, what sort of hours do you keep like on a regular you know, day or weekend or whatever, when do you go to bed and when do you get up and, and, and go to work and stuff? Um, I'll normally work from around midday till 11pm midnight and then I'll go a couple of hours before that, um, not usually doing much. Um, and then the day off, when I get one, a lot of time it's like I'm staying, I'm staying at home, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm staying in for most of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to recruit 
um, spoiler alert, healthiest team to your day off. But it does something that's where you feel like a lot of time you're like, oh, I just need a day away from everything, from life, from people, from, from the sun, even. <laughs> you yeah. never see your week. <laughs> like, you know, it's, and then that's kind of, uh, that's, that's the, again, the flip side. I think that's why actually people coming up with more um, postponed specific ways of getting around to these things, I think it would be really helpful for a lot of people like I said like some of those little things can be can be huge but I think putting into a routine can help mm-hmm. um, we'll go into all these sort of solutions and stuff at, at the end yeah. and then different ways of, of, of dealing with it Andy what about you what's your sort of routine like uh, I usually get up at about between 8 and 9 and it's pretty good go uh, if I've got some running around to do like go and pick some things up grab a coffee go to work and I get home at yeah 11 between 10.30 and midnight. Mm. Yeah. And what I've been doing, because we reopened, it just depends, like I've been doing six days. Um, I've, I stopped that this week because it can catch up with you pretty quickly, I found in the past. Um, doing sort of, like, you know, those hours add up. I don't really like to think about how many hours I'm probably yeah. at, at work or working for. Um, but I've, I, yeah, I've found, like, get into it later but there's things that, that can help mm-hmm. but it's hard to mm-hmm. to execute those things yeah, on a regular basis yeah and the, uh, the, la- the lack of and a lot of people get this lack of having like two solid days off in a row mm-hmm. really that, that helps massively yeah. that, yeah. really, that really affects me it's the same with previous jobs where had like a changing roster where some weeks you'd have two days off and other days it'd be two days split across the week um, and having that that only came over like a third week where you had the two days off that was always huge and that's like this year or last two years um, some of it's part of do six days a week pretty much every week um, you know, at least these two weeks in a month we're actually open or something we're sort of, sort of the restaurant's open for six days and then other times we're working anyway because there's so much to do um, when is the last time either of you had a week off <laughs> I went to I went to New York um, which is the first holiday we had since we started the business last October so a year ago and I had I had a Last Sunday, I had a service off for the first time in over a year. Right. Yeah. And Simon? Um, I had three days off at Christmas. That's the longest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, not... It's always... The last time <laughs> we, we, we closed was uh, last, last July, July the 4th, 2017. And we had two weeks off, but I spent most of that time... We had an event on during all the weeks we were off, so I spent the first week... I was away, I was in the Yarra, but I was also in any free time I had, I was, was organising the event, so I didn't really feel like time off. And then the holiday before that, I was back, went back to Wales, and I was, um, I booked the flight in the morning, we decided to buy the restaurant. So I had 10 days in Wales, but I was also like planning to open the restaurant, so that wasn't really much fun either. <laughs> so, so it might be going back two, two and a half years, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, Alex, like, how important is it for people to actually take those what are you trying to do here, Steph? <laughs> no, no. Like, well, like, that's what I want to do. It's like I want to identify yeah, how these yeah. sorts of things... Like these are so common within the industry and I just want to... I want to firstly identify how, you know, how common they are and then also... Um, and, and then ask Alex how, how that can affect people. So like being, you know, having no ability to take an extended period off work. Yeah, massive. And the... Um, I'm feeling almost... Indulgent with the kind of week that I have, yeah. <laughs> guys, to be honest. But I, I guess, um, so on one hand, there's the logistics. Like, it's difficult to get yeah. time away from your work, by yeah. the sounds of it. That's just logistically tough. 
because you, maybe you don't have other people who can step in and get it done. So that that's probably worth acknowledging. But you also talked before about there being a culture of not cracking. Like there are there are other industries that have a culture that's the reverse of that, where if you're working too much, that's kind of seen as a not a failure, but like you're not managing it well. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So I think there's logistics, but there's also perhaps a cultural element there that we probably should acknowledge to some extent. Yeah, I think that it, it seems like it more and more uh, these days, and this just, yeah, transcends hospitality, but like people wear their busyness as a badge of honour yeah. in, a, in, a, in a sense and, and, and kind of... That's like true. they take a bit of pride in in the, in the in the fact that they're too busy to be able to do anything f- like fun. They, yeah, yeah, they they have some pride in it. However, That's really, true. like if you can I mean, figure you ask it, anybody, have you been busy? Everyone's busy. Everyone's busy. <laughs> Everyone's busy. It doesn't matter what they do. Like no matter what job they've got, or if they don't even have a job, busy man. Busy. <laughs> is this is this because something busy that is associated with importance? Mm. Right. Like if I'm not busy, well, what am I doing? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if I'm busy, far out, yeah, that must be like. Is this something that you've seen? Like, have you seen an increased sort of prevalence of this in your career? Yeah. This 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 frenetic pace that everyone keeps, and everyone's just always busy all the time. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And I think one of the um, the skills that we're we're really losing is getting a bit more broad than just. That's fine. Yeah, no, let's go. But we're totally getting um, lost in terms of losing the skill of just sitting down doing nothing. Yeah. Like you look at anybody in a queue, you look at anybody in your restaurants, like a lot of times they're sitting around and they're, um, you know, even sometimes when they've got somebody else at the table, they might both be looking at their phones. Mm. Um, you look at any queue at a lunch hour, you know, where they're queuing up for their lunch, almost everybody's going to be on a phone. Yeah. I went to Melbourne uh, a couple of week, weeks ago and I forgot my mobile phone. I just, I just didn't mean to, so I'm not going to claim it as a deliberate strategy in mindfulness at all but I, I actually just left it and I was at the airport everybody was on their phone yeah. and it just stunned me I was the only one looking up um, so I think for no, sure no one's looking up anymore for yeah. sure we're losing that as a skill mm-hmm. and I think that feeds into this sense of being constantly on constantly busy yeah right there's so much content to get even when you're not at work you know there's so many good series so many good movies so many good books to read so many good albums to listen to and then at work, you know, there's so much to be done, you know, like you, there's always somebody doing better or more or, you know, something interesting. So it's, it's almost impossible to just fucking stop. Mm. Well, we're <laughs> Why we're is also in a position like Simon and myself where we are, like, we're not just cruising, so to speak, in the industry. Like, yeah. we're not just kind of, we don't have a sandwich shop. Like, we're trying to push yeah. forward to make our restaurants good and, and be good yeah, in the yeah. industry um, and with that you know I think if you want to be good at anything yeah, that comes with a bit of a price Yeah, I, I want to ask you guys about this in a second so can we just okay. pause this in a second but finish this um, question for Alex why is it so important for people to be able to stop and do nothing whether it's go for a walk without a phone or or just sit there or go to the beach or yeah that's no, a really good question and, I, and the reason I, the answer I would give is because if you don't stop, you don't notice. You don't notice stuff. And I'm not just talking about the wind and the trees or the birds singing. Like, you know, that's, of course, nice too, but that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I'm also talking about how when we were um, discussing earlier about, you know, having had time off two and a half years or over a year for, for you guys, 
um, it's going to be different for everybody in terms of what they need. But if you don't have the opportunity to actually reflect on when you're going well and when you're not going so well, then you've got bugger all chance to actually piece together what led to that or what helped. Yep. Um, and so I think if you are too busy, if you're constantly on a treadmill, um, then you're never going to actually notice what's impacting on you in a positive or negative way. Mm. That's it. It's interesting you say that. And um, I'm trying to do it more now, but I've, I listen to so many podcasts and I'm all, I've always got my headphones on when I'm, when I'm not sort of working or doing something, even when I go for a walk on the beach. And when you're absorbing information, you're not thinking about other things. You're not yeah. thinking things through. And it's like you say, like sometimes I just need to go to the beach and go for a walk without a phone yeah. or anything. And, you, and like you say, yeah, you notice things and you give yourself that opportunity to, to think about things and to, to think things through and to notice the positives as well as, yeah, you know, sure. how you can balance some of the negatives and those sorts of things. So I, I do physical exercise as part of looking after myself. In my role, that's, that's obviously important as well. But, um, yeah, like if, if I'm riding my bike, I don't wear headphones because I think that's dangerous. And yeah. I notice how much more I think about stuff. When I'm running, I do often wear headphones. And sometimes I have to actually just not wear them because I had one time where I was actually recording my run on like an app um, and my phone battery died and I literally had to like remind myself that the run is actually still good for me even if it's not recorded. <laughs> so we just get in the habit of just yeah. being constantly you know, connected to stuff all the time but actually it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conscious effort to disconnect mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 so I've some I'll read stuff or listen to things or listen to talks because it stops my mind racing. So it's same because like they go spend the whole day yeah, and it's like, oh, yeah. this thing, that, then that thing, and yeah. I've got to do that, I've done yeah. this, I've done that. And I, I, I like to get switched off in my own head and listen to someone else talk. Yeah. So kind of, um, yeah, so I think it's a lot of time. So. so that's the kind of thing that would be good to notice, right? Yeah. So I've, I've got my own little list of things in my phone where I just write down things that I know will actually help me. Mm. So if I'm starting to feel like I'm struggling, I just go to the list and just make sure I'm doing all those things. And more often than not, when I'm struggling, I'm not doing a whole lot of them. Yeah. Um, so listen to a podcast about something completely different to hospitality. Yeah. Might be something that helps you. It's usually hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a gong show on yeah. the yeah. 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 Well, But I find I, it relaxes me. Like I'm on a train just listening to a podcast. Mm. Yeah, like, that's really relaxing to me. Like, yeah, to Sydney and I'm just got I think it's I'm by myself. Just, yeah, yeah. It's probably the point, isn't it? If, like, if I'm reading like top ten fruits this year, or something, <laughs> something stupid Buzzfeed, or like, yeah, so many ways I'm like, well, that's interesting. Like, <laughs> that's probably because I'm running away from my problems. <laughs> not because I'm really interested in that top ten list. Yeah, yeah well, so the heading on my list is things that I think help but don't actually help. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so one of them is um, yeah, looking at Instagram or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, it yeah. feels like a like a mind numbing kind of. Mm. It's an escape for a little while. I just look at Instagram, but actually on reflection, I notice that doesn't really. Yeah, help me. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, well, I want to go back to what I was going to ask you guys about um, that, that we started touching on before. How how has your guys as as chefs and business owners? How does the pressures and uh, you know the yeah the, the way that the way that your industry and your position can affect your mental health? How does that how does that change with moving up 
levels of responsibility in your career to a point like you were talking about, Andy, where you were the head chef across a couple of venues and then becoming a business owner. Because I noticed for me that look, I, when I was working for someone, you know, it did have its, it, it, it had its challenges at the time and stuff, but it was something that I could walk away from and, and, and it was easier for me to wind down. Now I find being a business owner that your mind is always ticking about yeah. about what you could be doing with your business and, and you kind of feel like every every second that you put into thinking about your business and trying to improve it could be a way to make it more successful and and I've, I find that really challenging to, to switch off um, how do, how do you guys how have you guys sort of how's that sort of developed for you guys as you moved oh I mean yeah well, I guess the best way to put it is I kind of thought <clears throat> I kind of thought like when I had a job and I was managing yeah, like a lot of staff and multiple venues. Like I, I thought I was stressed then, but I wasn't stressed then. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't really know. Like I, yeah, in things that have, you don't have the financial burden as well of having that like, was, a, that was having like a quiet week or whatever. Yeah. Um, you've got you've got bills to pay, you've got staff mm-hmm. to pay, and you've got, you know, the tax office to pay, your insurances. Like mm-hmm. there's so much more to it that yeah. people don't realise. And, <clears throat> and the pressure of... Um, Trying to make your business, sorry, <coughs> trying to make your business better. And like you say, Steph, um, I mentioned earlier, <coughs> becoming better as a chef, making your restaurant better. I put a lot, like Jen points out sometimes, my wife, Jen points out sometimes how much pressure mm. I place on myself. Um, and I think, like you've said, I, I don't stop mm. to really realise that. I just mm. keep going. Mm. Um, and it can manifest in, mm. in different sort of negative ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, not, not to, like, it's, it, there's different stresses. There's things that I don't get stressed about now um, that I used to when I was working with someone. So being, being your own boss, in essence, is, is quite freeing. Um, being able to, you know, when, you know, all the positives of restaurant come back to you when, when you're over place. So if someone says, I had a great meal, I love that food, I love that dish, that's on you. When, when you're working with someone, you have a part in it, but yeah. it's not it's not as satisfying. Yeah. So there's definitely not to sort of negate anyone who works at any levels, um, the way they might be feeling it, it's, it's all hard. Um, but definitely, there's some added unique ones to owning a business. Um, like well, with the flip side of getting all, all the positivities, you also get negativity. So, very good with you, um, yeah, you'll find a bad one that can ruin your week. Um, like I said, the financial burden of it is, is huge because that, that's not just consequences for you, that's for your staff as well. Um, so, so funny if you're trying to work that extra hour, work that bit harder, put on another lunch, you know, yeah. trying to put another another day of the week to make more money so you can keep employing everyone. So it's um, there's some pretty pretty tough um, things to deal with, and then and then from a kind of ambitious point, and you're just talking about like we want to put sometimes want to do these extra hours, want to put this extra work in to make the restaurant better because we are ambitious and we have things we want to achieve. Um, and sometimes that even means not. No, no, so something I've, I've, I've struggled with is, is really actually said, sitting back and taking stock of what we have done because it's always move the next one, move the next one. So, oh, we've, we've, we've retained that, we've won that. Okay, cool, that doesn't matter anymore, move the next one. So, actually taking that, that kind of moment to, to realize what you, what you have done, actually be happy about it, can be quite hard when you're constantly pushing. Um, but yeah, definitely it's, uh, it's, it's not owning a restaurant, is not for the faint hearted. But you do you do grow and learn, mm-hmm. and you do learn to um, let some things not bother you. Um, after a few years, I've you know I've just I've learned to just 
either let things go or kind of the financial side, you know, you just get you get better at like learning how to manage it and balance yeah. it and not read really reviews. You know, it's, yeah, it's, and it's you, so, know so, what, yeah, you know what's yeah, coming in. Like, mm-hmm. like there's things you just yeah let go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be pretty. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of pressure to work really hard. Um, yeah, and mm-hmm. sometimes it can lead to not looking after yourself very well. And I think the main thing, the point that you mentioned is kind of resonating with me is you don't give yourself time to process it or think mm-hmm. about it, um, which is probably, like sometimes I'll go up to my dad's, who he lives um, about 25 k's out of Mudgee on a hill, no phone reception, Jen, like no emails, no nothing. Jen and I will go up there for a couple of days and just sit there and talk mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. sit by a fire in winter and have a few beers and mm-hmm. that's like, that's my time. That's mm-hmm. my escape time. It's my only time as well. But that's that's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, I mean, we've. I guess this this beginning portion, we've just tried to sort of identify some of the issues and why you know there is prevalence of mental health issues in hospitality. Alex, is there anything else from what we've said or from other people that you've you've come across? Is there anything else you just want to you just want to maybe add? Because we're going to now move on to some of the, the strategies that people can implement um, to, to take care of themselves and address some of these things. Is there anything else that you want to add that that you've heard from us or you know warning signs that um, that there could be sort of trouble trouble along the way um, that you've heard from us or, 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 or want to identify just so people out there can maybe relate to it or whatever. Um, the fact that you guys are doing this podcast on this topic is, um, I think, a, an act of leadership. And I think that the more people in senior positions within local kitchens or kitchens elsewhere outside the region who um, show some really strong leadership in this space, the better. Because I think it, it, kitchens can be quite hierarchical. And so you, you do need strong leadership in any organisation. You need some some real leadership around this stuff. But that's not to say that if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're not the owner of the business or they're not the head chef, they still can play a role in um, in showing some leadership. And that can be around, um, you know, some of the cultural elements of, um, you know, we could have dinner together before we start service. So we could, we could um, just make sure we catch up tomorrow to go out, go outside and do something or just have one less beer this week or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, just there are little things I suppose that anybody could do to try and shift that cultural um, problem you talk about. But for sure, I think the leadership um, from head chefs and restaurant owners is going to be really critical. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, yeah, let's sort of move along to some of these strategies and, and addressing some of the issues that we've identified. I wanted to start by asking you when... I mean, it's it's something now with things like Are You OK Day and 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 a bunch of other initiatives. One of the goals that people mention and and the phrases that people mention is reducing stigma surrounding mental health. Uh, can you can you just tell us what people actually mean by that? Because it's it, it it's very commonly used, but why? What does it mean, and why is it so important? Yeah, so stigma stigma is a um a loaded term in a way. So on one hand, um, it's a word that we're more comfortable with than what it actually means, which is discrimination. That's actually what stigma is about. Mm. So um, 
reducing discrimination against people who have got mental health issues is around that stigma, that sense that it's um, that it's the person's fault or that it's their problem or that kind of thing, or that they're mad or they're crazy. You hear lots of phrases like that. Um, those sorts of uh, beliefs will prevent people from reaching out for help when they need it. So that's one thing that can happen. Um, but the discrimination could also come in the way that you know uh, employer might. Um, not give them the extra shift or might not extend their contract. You know, those things can happen too. So um, it's, a, it's sort of a broad broad brush, but across our community, I think there've been a lot of really great organisations nationally that have done a really great job around um, increasing awareness and reducing stigma in that sense. You know, Beyond Blue and Are You Okay Day and Headspace, there's a whole lot of really great work that has been done to the point where, you know, like if you were, if you're a young person in year nine now, you are much more likely to put your hand up and say, I'm struggling, I need help, than a young person in year nine, 10, 20 years ago. Right, yeah. Massive. It's not something you even really think about is that younger generation as well and, and their ability to address it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I actually think that we've come a long way in Australia with regards to uh, normalising the conversation to the extent where people are encouraged to get, get help and reach out for help and talk to people around them about stuff. What, what I, um, I guess I challenge our community to do more of, though, is when we look at the evidence, raising awareness, like that, those kind of campaigns, they actually don't have much of an impact on, the, on their own. Yeah. They're lovely and they make everybody feel good because they're high profile and whatnot. And you can grow a tash and that's really good because then people think you're a good person. <laughs> but it actually doesn't necessarily have a big impact on the bottom line. In my context, debts. Yep. suicide deaths. What does work is when the campaign has a really clear, what they call call to action. So it's really clear action that they're asking people to take. So are you okay is a good example where the action is to ask people around you if you're okay. Call an old friend, somebody you haven't spoken to for a while, somebody you think's not quite right, struggling a bit. Actually go up and ask them if they're okay and have a chat. Like That's quite a good call to action, but I think we can do more than that as well. So raising awareness, I think, and reducing stigma is an important piece of the puzzle. I think it's largely um, one that we've had a lot of success in in Australia. But what we need to do more of now is actually direct people into what they can actually do about it, practically speaking. So we ran a campaign in the Illawarra Shoalhaven just recently, partnered with the Illawarra Mercury um, from Fairfax, and we um, had a two-month campaign talking about suicide prevention in particular, from all sorts of different angles, you know, from the family's perspective, from somebody who's attempted and they're recovering, what was important for them, from a sporting club perspective, a lot of business community, lots of different perspectives. And we had a really clear call to action was to encourage people in the community to do a training called QPR or question, persuade, refer. So this is a, a takes less than an hour to do. You can do it online and it costs 10 bucks. Like super cheap, super accessible. Actually at the moment it's free. Okay. We've got enough free, we've got a thousand free licenses donated. So anybody can just drop on our website, do it for free. And the website's suicidepreventioncollaborative.org.au. And it's got it there on the homepage. So that was a really clear call to action. That campaign resulted in over a thousand people doing that training. Can you can you run us through what each of those actually means practically? Yeah, for sure. So question is around the are you okay type message. So if you think somebody around you is struggling, then have the conversation. But the training talks about how to ask the question. And this is really important because often people, 
they need to do the right thing and they don't want to do the wrong thing and so they end up not doing anything mm-hmm. that's typically what happens yep. for fear of saying the wrong thing they end up saying nothing um, so a lot of us have a gut feeling we know when somebody we work with or someone in our close friendship group or family we know when they're not quite themselves or they seem to be a bit down but often we just notice and don't say much um, so the question bit is about trying to teach people how to ask that and really it's about not using awkward euphemisms and men are particularly guilty of this so let's be honest like <laughs> we're rubbish at it like um, you know so we often hear story of this um, young fellow I've been working with who's struggling his dad um, said came up to him and said oh you know I'm not thinking about doing something stupid are you <laughs> you know which he yeah. means well like, yeah. he's, a, he's a caring dad he's trying to help his son out but by saying that, what he's communicating is, if you are thinking about killing yourself, that's stupid. But also he's communicating, please say you're not, because I'm clearly not comfortable having this conversation, so I'm not the one who's going to be able to help you. Mm. So the question is about trying to teach people how to have that initial conversation. The persuade bit is around trying to gently encourage them to get help, you know, to get supports and so on. Um, and the referrer is obviously about trying to actually... Um, actively support them to reach out and get connected with those supports, whatever they might be. Mm-hmm. And it's not always a clinical treatment that people need. Um, so we've, in terms of people who die by suicide, only a third of them are in contact with a mental health service. So if we were just to treat suicide, for example, as a mental health issue, then we'd be missing most of the people who die. So that's where we talk about it being everybody's role. You know, lots of people suicide just because of life circumstances. They don't need a clinical treatment. Often all they need is somebody close to them who makes them feel safe, just sitting down and listening to them. That's often the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody can do that. Yeah. For sure. What was the website again? Suicidepreventioncollaborative.org.au. Yeah, cool. I think that's definitely uh, 10 bucks well spent or free at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah free. So we've had heaps of organisations roll that across their workforces. Um, and including, you know, council workers who are working off-site so they don't have a computer, not desktop type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you just 10 bucks for free at the moment, you give them the licence, they can do it in multiple sittings in their own time, and then they can actually just, like, say, say they do it today, and in eight months' time they come across somebody in work who's struggling, you can log in any time you want for three years and just go over it again just so you're fresh before you go and have that chat. So it's super helpful and really evidence-based. So we know that the more people who do that training... In the community, the less suicide deaths we'll have. So we're that's great. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think that yeah, knowing how to ask, yep. like, like there's people in my life at the moment. Yeah, like I kind of wonder. Oh, you know, you've yeah. got a gut feeling. You just go. I can see you going through yeah. a bit behind the scenes. Yeah, just knowing how to how to approach it. Yeah, the, the correct way is probably a big thing that will make more people actually approach that's it. That's right. So it's just having that confidence that mm. I can just ask it this way. And the, the correct way. That's not so much correct. Like there's a good like. You're correct and you're incorrect, but it's, there are ways that you can ask it that are much more likely to yeah. be helpful, and that's yeah. um, to be direct, be clear. You know, say, are you thinking about hanging yourself? Do you ever think about life not being worth living? Are you ever thinking about suicide? Yeah, yeah. That's how you ask. Yeah, you don't use euphemisms. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think also, as you mentioned before, Alex, the that sort of. Uh, leadership and mentorship. You know, it, the hospitality is a hierarchical industry, and Definitely, people in, in your such as your positions, people in those leadership roles in the, in their in their businesses, the ones who 
you know, do have a bit of responsibility for the people um, below them could definitely benefit from, you know, getting, yeah, this, right. getting this information. And so the offer's out there to you guys, but also to the people listening. Yes. If anybody's interested in doing that training, we can help you roll it out across your staff mm. if you need our help at all, or you can just get them to do it. But if you do it, then we'd be really keen to um, then promote that, like get the media involved, tell a story about these restaurants are taking the responsibility of the welfare of their staff really seriously. They're doing this training. Wow, you, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we've been doing yeah. a lot. So next week we're doing um, Kikau with Hawks. Okay. Um, and they're going to be doing it. They're going to try and get all the NBL teams around the country to do it. So right. it's, it's sort of, it's something that is easy to do and then many people are then spruik about it and show leadership. And more, more of that that happens, the more people... Yeah, exactly. I'm going to do it for whatever reason it might be. For sure, that's specific about suicide, but the, the conversation and the confidence to ask people if they're okay is absolutely relevant for, you know, drug and alcohol problems or mental health problems. And yeah. all it, it doesn't have to be that, like, no. that very sort of end of it. That can right. be the initial mm. sort of thing. Mm. Not feeling good. Great. Um, secondly, I, I guess we talked again before about uh, irregular schedules, sleep, lots of hours worked, etc. Can you give us any advice on some strategies that people can implement in order to get a bit of regularity maybe and, 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 and things that might sort of improve that? <laughs> yeah, so I can't. Solve a lot of problems, <laughs> I'm not sure I can help you with your rostering. But, <laughs> no, um, yeah. Maybe not the rostering, but anything? Like it, it's a legitimate... So as like I said, I think there's, there's logistical challenges, but there's also a cultural challenge. So like... Um, Imagine, imagine a, a workplace where the expectation was that you had a limit on how many you did a week or how much time you had off or there was an expectation that everybody at the beginning of a shift sat down and ate together mm-hmm. or at the end of a the shift they sat down and ate whatever, whenever it would work for the, the setting. But if that was the expectation within a workplace um, and there were processes to sit down and review how that go, not just in terms of whether the menu is successful, but also how do we go in our communication? Like maybe you guys do a bit of that already, but um, I think those things would be really important. Um, but for sure, there are other things um, that can be done, and that might include, like I said before, the workplaces in other industries where they've actually enabled flexibility for each of the staff. So they said, you know, what kind of a work timetable do you need, and what sort of things do you notice help you when you're not at work or when you're at work? let's make sure that they're embedded in your roster or whatever. And that might be different for each staff member. But workplaces that have done that have noticed an increase in female participation. They've noticed an increased retention. They've noticed an increased staff satisfaction. Like, it has multiple positive benefits. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. all, all the evidence shows that if your staff are happier, you will have yeah. a better running business. Your, your productivity goes up. Um, and creativity, you know. Yeah, 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 customer, yeah, customer satisfaction. Goes, I think so... It's um, it's sort of where like some of the things you've already brought up, like like getting that bit of sun sunlight yeah. in the day, um, medium time. Is these all these general things that that the implementers out there, and it's up to people who are businesses like myself now need to actually implement them yeah. into hospitality because that that's kind of the difficult part as to how do we get these ones to actually go in. But I think it comes down to people in the industry, industry leaders, to, to take the information and, and work out how we can create a better, mm. you know, better, better model. I mean, like the things thing that we we've, we've We've always tried to do things like, like we, we cook staff meal every day um, and we always try and do that. Um, we, we have pretty good flexible hours here anyway. Um, and just little things like we, we bring it up almost every staff meeting to make sure everyone's 
talking to each other in a nice way. Yeah. Uh, little things like that, because that can just the way people talk and the way you kind of you can throw out a comment in in a, in a possible hospitality happens quite a lot of like tiny things like that that make a difference. It's also changed the entire dynamic, like those little comments people make or if someone's not being very nice, I guess, is, is probably the easiest way to put it. You can just change the whole dynamic of yeah. the day and the, yeah. the room and the negativity kind of comes in. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's a small crew. Like yeah, I've worked yeah. big crews and I've worked small crews. We've got a small crew at the moment, four of us, and we're all like really tired. Mm. But that's, it doesn't take much to... Yeah, kind of change the, the whole way the day's going. Yeah, yeah. So well, I guess what I'm saying is, it, I, there's no one solution. There's no one model. Yeah. Like, we all have to chip in and go to do a fitness class together. <laughs> like, I mean, that might work for some workplaces, but others might be that you all go to the movies together. Or yeah, it could yeah. be whatever, but it might be something worth discussing for workplaces. Think, okay, how are we going and doing it to? Yeah, I think like one one simple thing could just be. Do something with your staff that isn't at your restaurant, like yeah. occasionally, whatever it might be. Not necessarily going to have a beer, but like yeah. even if it's just going for go throw the frisbee in the park for half an hour, like in yeah. between service, or or just just do something, just get out of the restaurant and do something that, and don't talk or try not to talk too much <laughs> about work yeah. and what's happening. Just have a chat as friends and 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 do something that's not. In your in your you know yeah. restaurant, right? I think that's quite important. Is to do, do something with your friends or else start people that isn't involved going to the pub. <laughs> yeah, is that, and I think yeah. well, no, it's not like I don't think there's a there's a problem as, as yet, but that, that's where everyone because you know, finish late. Where else? What else you gonna do? We'll go to the pub. We'll go for a couple of beers. Um, and I think that just feeds into the the kind of the the you, know, you only end up going from your restaurant to the pub to home, restaurant pub home. Yeah. Repeat, repeat, repeat. So I think like getting out and doing something that's, that doesn't involve alcohol, um, whatever it is, I think is, is pretty. That that's definitely helps me. Um, you know, having having something I do that's not work or, or drinking mm-hmm. at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you, Alex. The inter- one interesting one that you brought up before was the idea of competence and and mastery, yeah. and how how important that can be for. Um, improving people's situation. Maybe, I mean, this is just a just a thought, but for younger people, like you say, Andy, you you kind of you never know. There's a huge spectrum of how people are, how people are doing and, and and what sort of position they have. You know what what their home home life is like and that sort of thing. But maybe giving people the opportunity to pursue the things that they're interested in. You know, within that kitchen environment, like if they if they really enjoy desserts or really yeah. enjoy prepping a certain thing or, or, or certain, these sorts of aspects, giving the opportunity mm-hmm. for them to continue um, developing in that specific area and following those things that interest them to become competent and, and masterful at those mm-hmm. sorts of things. That's so important for so many reasons. Mm. Yeah. And to be honest, it's a, bit of, it's a bit of a muscle that you need to exercise, particularly if you're somebody who's found yourself working hospitality off a background where you didn't have a lot of sense of being good at stuff. We didn't have a lot of positive feedback. Um, you may not have much of a, a, a well-tuned muscle for doing that, for reflecting what you have done well. Mm-hmm. I provide a lot of supervision for other psychologists around their clinical work, and often it's um, often I can spend a whole hour just when they're talking about a particular client they're working with, and I'll just ask the one question repeatedly, which is just, what else did you think you did really well? And they'll say something, so what else did you think you did really well? 
and we'll keep going like that for almost the whole hour. Yeah. And it's amazing when they feel like they're just, it seems like they're absolutely run out of ideas of things they did well. You ask it again and they'll come up with another really Find good one. <laughs> and it's amazing how many, and this can be to people when they're coming to me to talk about their clinical work, they're often talking about ones that aren't going well. They want advice. So it might be the case in the kitchen where, you know, if you're mentoring somebody who's younger in the kitchen, you just ask them, well, okay, so you're telling me that didn't go well. What do you think you didn't do well? And what else did you think you did well? That can be just a way of trying to exercise their, that kind of muscle of mastering mm, for them. Yeah. Give them a, a better perspective on actually, you know, it didn't go as well as I'd like, but actually there's a whole lot of things that went pretty well. Yeah. And maybe given how badly this particular scenario was, maybe I actually did quite a good job of handling it. Mm. Um, and yeah, maybe I can tick that off next week. Yeah. yeah. And then the next thing. Yeah. People yeah. are really good at picking out the things they didn't do well. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that's obviously not always the most helpful exercise. Mm. For sure. Um, Guy, I'll, I'll ask you two now. What, do you guys have any specific things that you implement to try to give you a bit of structure, take yourself away from your businesses? Um, Andy, I know you go to the gym. Yeah, I try to eat, I eat pretty well. Yep. Um, and yeah, I go to the gym, I do Olympic weightlifting and CrossFit. And how, do find, how do you find that help, helps you? Oh, it's, definite, it's a definite stress reliever. Yeah. <laughs> heavy barbell like it, it really is um my time um away from like the the room i'm in the kitchen yeah. i'm in um and it's also social so i see other people that don't work in hospitality um and i have a conversation with them about their day their family whatever and i feel like it just completely separates me for mm-hmm. would have been an hour hour and a half mm-hmm. um but i think it's also important to find that like so anything I do, I kind of like go at it like 100%. Like, so cross is a perfect example. Like, I'm going to the extreme end of exercise. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it's important to find a balance between not doing that too much as well. Yeah. Like, you're I said stressing this, I, in the kitchen, now you're stressing over <laughs> snatching 120. I said to someone the other day, they said, How you been? I said, Oh, I've been pretty stressed. And I'm like, I'm trying to like, go to the gym a bit less. And, they just laughed at me and so I've never heard anyone say, like, I'm trying to go to the gym less. Like, <laughs> and I, 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 it's important, the point I'm trying to make, it's important to find, you know, the balance between doing that thing outside of work and not mm. taking that too seriously um, and the hours you are at work because mm. if I start going to the gym six days a week doing really intense exercise, then I'm too exhausted to do to do my work and that affects yeah. me mentally. So it's, it's really... It is, Fine line, but um, it's I find it really important as a stress release, and yeah, as a sort of I guess separation, mm. as I said from from my day. Do you, do you try to eat? Speaking of nutrition, do you try to eat at the same time every day, sort of thing? Oh, as best I can. Like I have breakfast obviously before I leave home, and then try to have a good lunch at work. I have a little bit of something before service, and then I eat dinner when I get home. Yeah. Okay. I think sandwich doesn't always help. In like same thing, go home. I'll have dinner at like if I, if I start to like to cook. Something that takes a little bit of time when I get home, which case I do, you'll be like, I'm gonna make a curry from scratch, it's 1 a.m. <laughs> and I like, don't want to be until like 2. But I quite enjoy cooking, funny enough, for a chef. Um, so so that, I, I quite enjoy that, but that means I'm not eating until yeah, 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning sometimes, and then you're trying to go straight to sleep. And that, that can really kind of mess up your sleep patterns then, because then I'll swipe it. Just one point I would make about the regular routine it's not so much about eating, but sleeping. So if you're looking for a regular like a rule, yeah. Um, 
the, the general rule of thumb is wake up at the same time. Okay. okay. That's much more important than going to bed at the same time. Yeah, right. So keep, if, if you're having trouble with sleep, yeah, right. pick a time that you think is doable and make that your wake up time every day. So even if you don't go to sleep till 3 a.m. and your wake up time is 10 a.m., still wake up at 10. Yeah. Just always wake up at the same time. Okay. That's one thing that can actually help to bring your circadian rhythms back. Mm. And I think lights are not yeah. like like you were saying. A bit of sunlight's important as well. Sunlight's and I try to important. I try to do that when I like. I mean, I get to live the luxury of living a a, a normal working routine now. Um, but getting out into like getting outside, being one of the first things that I want to do in the morning, whether it's taking the dog to the beach or or, or just sitting outside to eat my breakfast or something like that, I find that really sort of. Helpful. There's been there's times that I'll like go to, I go and have a coffee in the morning at Sifters at Sun of a Gun and it's outside and it's like it's a nice day. I kind of stand there and like oh wow this is so nice. It's like you just you, you feel your body just go I need this. <laughs> <laughs> That sun is so good. We yeah. all stand there. Oh, it's true. Wow, this is it's crazy. like a drug sometimes. Isn't it? Like it's an eclipse. Seriously, <laughs> it's crazy. Hey, like it's like, but it's. The point being is yeah. that you obviously, your body's obviously saying, oh, I need this. Like, yeah, yeah. I need this sort of time in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Simon, Simon any, anything that you do to... Um... Um, I try and put little things just into a routine. I find it's easier to do that. Like, even though like walk, walking to work and, and back from work every day, like, I, I, I could take a car. And if I have enough, like, access to the car, I'll, I sometimes I will. And I'll, if I stay at the car for, like, a week... I'm driving to, driving to work every day just because it's easier. And I'm like, fuck, I actually quite like walking to work. Yeah. Like that, little, that little kind of bit of time before. I'm scampering, thinking. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So, so little things like that. And so I, I really I enjoy the fact that I work to walk to work every day. That That's gives nice. me that bit of, bit of sunlight. It's good to have a buffer. Yeah. Like, so. Between home and work. Yeah, so um, if you live really close to where you work, you might find that's not much of a buffer. Mm. And so some people might find it helpful to actually drive via somewhere. Well, I live like, like right yeah, there and right right I work right there. So yeah, like four yeah. minute walk. I so work yeah. where I live. So if you work where you live, then it might be a case of, well, once you've clocked off, then hop on a push bike and just go around the block. Or, mm. You know, just do something to be a bit of a buffer. Some people will get home from work and they'll... Instead of going through the front door, they go straight to the garage and just you know, punch them back for a little while yeah. before they walk upstairs to their family. So just find a buffer that can be really useful. Cool. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, also, I think I was, I was, I think I realised when uh, I'm not enjoying myself as much in the kitchen is when, is when I'm, I'm not, I'm not being as creative or I'm not coming up with things. Or I'm not, I'm not reading as much about food. Like, like trying to find joy in what you do every day yeah. and in the actual job is really important. Because like, I, I, like, I love cooking, like, I love being a chef. Like, it, it's a tough, tough job, but in the scheme of things, like, that's what does it for me. Like, I like cooking. So, like, I'll notice it if, I'm, if I haven't really come up with like, work with a menu or come up with a dish or some little spark has come off of it or something I want to play around with. If I'm not doing that, that's when you're not doing too well in other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, definitely trying to find the general joy. In what you actually do, yeah, well, creative you're learning something, yeah, yeah, like learning for me, can be like, really helpful, yeah. So, if you feel like there's no capacity for that within your workplace, like you sort of stuck mm. on a certain menu for a little while, yeah, um, it might be just do something you're not very good at, like mm. play guitar or <laughs> sing, or yeah, do something different to learn. As long as yeah. you're learning something, it's probably going to be good for you, it's yeah, interesting, definitely. yeah. 
I, I actually started learning piano recently. Yeah. And it's 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 the strangest thing because it feels like I'm back at school. Yeah. Not like in, in, in the sense that I just remember at school when it came to things like maths or stuff that I wasn't good at, I remember just using this part of my brain where it was like you just have to practice and you just really have to focus and you have to fucking yeah. learn it. And it's this and and it's I feel like I actually haven't really had this since since school because I'm like on this piano now and it's like okay I'm trying to make myself practice for half an hour yeah. a day and then you can see yourself getting better at it and you're like hold on yeah. a second yeah this is like yeah this is this is like an actual thing it's like you not know how to do something yeah, yeah. and then you can put some time <laughs> and effort into it and then you can learn how to do it it's like but it's it's really rewarding as well yeah. you know like, that's actually quite healthy it's like you're you have some apprentices it's quite healthy for you yeah. to experience what it's like to not be good yeah. at something well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I think one thing for young chefs is, is especially in the kitchen might not change their menu very often is, is when you just repetitive repetitive days can make your days horribly boring and slow and, and really get you down so I mean, keeping your younger chefs engaged uh, in what you're doing um, teaching them new skills and things like that that's hugely important for young chefs mm-hmm. yeah we do like like Stan, for instance, looks after a lot of our sort of ferments and misos and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's good to give them like yeah something like projects. This is your focus. Like I'll I'll do it with you, but like you need to kind of yeah take take control of this mm-hmm. one because I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Or like Mason, like recently we just kind of had a sit down and he said, "Oh, this is my plan. I, I want to stay, or should I stay, or should I go?" Kind of thing, and went through it all, and I just wrote him a six month plan, and then I gave it to him to write some things down. It's like okay, how can we tick all this off um, so you can learn this before you leave mm-hmm. uh, and I think that gives mm-hmm. I don't know it gives them some direction and obviously something to focus on to get them out of that like someone says like we can come in in the morning and they'll do you know yeah, execute those same that. jobs and they know they have to have them ready by this time it's like we do the crumpet mix we ferment that for a few hours then we add this and then that goes up, up the top again comes to a certain temperature and at the exact time they cook this many of them so it can become quite just it's monotony. It's monotony. It's, it's and it can be stressful because they've got to execute these things in a certain time. So yeah. I try to, I guess, sort of they mix their jobs up and then separate. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I I'm going to take an hour to learn and focus on this new thing. And I think I feel like that really helps them. Yeah. Well, you can't have a sense of mastery if you're not extending yourself. Yep. So mastery is not just about getting good at something and then just continuing to do it yeah 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 so especially if you're that way inclined that's yeah. where you, you need stimulation like oh, i need to learn like mm. oh, i'm at my sort of best like someone said i guess creatively mm. and just enjoying life generally when i'm, I'm yeah. learning something and getting better at something mm. and some people really need that some people not so much but it's cool. my experience it's cool yeah definitely beneficial um a couple more questions for you alex and um and then we'll wrap up uh, Andy, you identified before that you know, as as a business owner, you may have people reaching out to you for for help, and and they may may come in different forms. People might have a you know, you know an easy conversation with you that you could, that you can kind of respond to, or someone might send you a text message that contains some worrying stuff. Alex, do you have? Is there, is there any resources or do you have any advice for people in positions of responsibility to be able to sort of like deal with and manage when people reach out and, and, and or are showing, showing signs that they definitely do need some help? 
Yeah, well, firstly, it's, it's a really good thing <coughs> when they do that. Like, it's not um, something that as a manager or owner you should be um, annoyed about. Like, it's actually a really good sign if they're reaching out at all, but particularly if they're reaching out to you. So it's a really good opportunity. Like, in Australia, we've got eight people dying by suicide every day. You know, so it's, it's just unacceptable. It's a pretty alarming figure. <laughs> and uh, six of those eight are fellas. And you talk about hospitality being male-dominated in the kitchen, like it's, um, you know, so the chances are in your careers you will have people you're working with or for or alongside whatever who are, um, who are really struggling and you are in a really great position to be able to help them. So doing things like QPR training would be a really good start so that you are comfortable to have that conversation. Um, so letting them know that that's really good that they are, that, would, that must have taken a lot of courage to reach out and say that out loud or in a text. You know, that's, that's a really good way to start, sort of like um, celebrating the fact that they, they asked for help. That's really mm-hmm. worth doing. Because often they'll have thought about telling you for ages and it's taken quite a lot of guts to actually say it in the end. So it's really great to respond with, thank you for trusting me with that and you know, well done. Well, it's you know, awesome that you did that. Um, and then, honestly, don't feel like you have to solve it. Don't feel like you have to respond like it's a crisis. Um, start with just sitting down and listening yeah. and just asking, mate, that sounds like an awful, you know, What's been going on? Like what's led you to this point? Um, and then just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about telling them about when you struggle and how you got better because you, whatever. Um, just listen to how it is for them and just validate everything they say. So if they say something, um, somebody else did something and you think the other person's probably reasonable, they say that. Just go, yeah, man, that sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Just keep, keep empathising with whatever they're going through. If you do that, that'll be 90% of the way to being better. Um, for most most people, so that's really important. Um, the other one you can do is actively um, support them to reach out for help. So that might be, mate, have you got a GP that you trust? Um, or would you want to come with me and I'll take you to see my GP? Or we'll go to see a GP together. Um, that kind of an offering to actually support them to go and reach out for help. And then checking in on them after is really important as well. So don't just sort of let that go and be anxious about coming back to it, but actually go, How'd you go with the GP or you know whatnot? There are lots of phone lines as well if people want that. So if they don't want to go see somebody face to face, there are options. Um, so there's obvious ones that people know about, like Lifeline Beyond Blue, but there's also one called a suicide callback service, which you can just Google suicide callback service, and um, they offer you six one-hour essentially counselling sessions over the phone with the same person. So that's a bit different to just calling up a helpline where you talk to whoever, um, and that's available for not just the person who's uh, struggling, but also anybody around them, including you guys. So if somebody in your staff came and spoke to you about them feeling like they were suicidal or they were struggling with depression or whatever it might be, um, then you're welcome to call this number yourself and ask for advice. Um, That's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. That's probably good. Like, I was going to kind of ask that question as an extension of the question. Like, I've been in situations where it's it can become really hard. Like, if you've got, say three or four people within your yeah. staff that are struggling and have come to you. Yeah. It can be sometimes, depending on how much they are struggling and the way they're approaching it with you, can become quite detrimental to your own mental health yeah. because you're trying to 
help with these problems and, and deal with it. And it's like, kind of can become, okay, at what point is this not my responsibility anymore? I've kind yeah. of done what I can. And knowing where that starts and ends is completely grey for me. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard to know, okay, I probably need to yeah. hand this off to someone else now because this is starting to really affect, like, keep me out yeah. of Yeah. And look, you, you might come across somebody who's... Um, you know, you, you offer help or you offer to listen and they just don't take it up yep. and they just never actually go and get help, but you yep. can see they're still struggling. Um, I guess all I say that is just let them know that you're there to listen to them whenever they're ready. Yep. Because um, that's like playing a seed, you know, they can't unhear that. And then when they are ready, they might come and talk to you. Um, but yeah, connecting them with other supports is, is really critical, not just for them, but also for yourself. Yep. And yeah, absolutely, you can access those supports yourself too. Great. Um, okay, well, we'll move on in a second. Uh, Alex, how can people get involved in the Illawarra Shoalhaven Suicide Prevention Collaborative if they want to? Yeah, it's really easy. So on the website um, that we mentioned before, suicidepreventioncollaborative.org.au, um, you go there and there's like a contact us and then um, it essentially just sends me an email um, and my colleague an email just saying uh, your, your name and details and then we'll in touch with you and see mm-hmm. how you want to do it with the collaborative because we've got lots of different organizations we've also got community groups and just people from the general community right who want to get involved okay um so there are lots of different ways you can get involved there are certain working groups that are focusing on particular things so there's like there's a group we're focusing on what we're doing within schools there's a group focusing on what we're doing within emergency departments you know what i mean yep. there's lots of different stuff going on um so we just have a chat, we'll catch up with you, and we'd see what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And people who uh, get involved with the collaborative um, to share, as you know, on the basis of their expertise that are gained through their own experience. So these are what people would call people with lived experience of suicidality and recovery. And that can be that they've attempted themselves or they're suicidal, they've been suicidal themselves, or they've been bereaved by suicide or cared for somebody who's suicidal. But all of those people we call people with lived experience. So people who get involved with lived experience, um, we actually pay them um, because we value their input so much. So they get paid for all of their time if they're coming outside of a workplace role. Cool. Yeah, so anybody can get involved, just get in touch. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Um, I think we'll wrap it up, guys. Uh, I was going to go on to us uh, talking about events and things like that. Do you guys want to talk about events no, and no, stuff no, now? No, Not really? No, yeah, neither. So, uh, so yeah, let's just uh, wrap it up there for um, people that want to go back and listen to some of the other podcasts. Uh, we did one for the Wollongong Writers Festival last time, so you can go to that. Uh, if you want to get this podcast, it's www.quicksandfood.com slash podcast where all the episodes you can play from the website or you can find links to download them. You can also search Quicksand Food through any of your favorite podcast apps and download them there. Uh, Babyface Kitchen and Kavo, as always, get get in there and support them um, up until Christmas. We'll put another podcast out uh, before Christmas and, and sort of bring in the new year a little bit as well. But uh, yeah, we'll probably just leave it there. Yeah. Alex, thank you so much for coming in and chatting thank, to thank us. You. We'll probably get you in another time and we'll see what the, uh, how the hospitality community here in Wollongong responds. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, awesome. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next see time. <laughs>
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.